Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Cafecito con Estrellita. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hola mi gente, welcome back to Cafecito con Estrellita. I hope you're doing well this week. Now mi gente, I'm excited to also let you all know we have another interview episode for this season and I am so excited to present to all of you Maddie from Academic Mami. If For my hardcore academics out there, you know that Maddie is definitely like the OG academic in our academic virtual space here on Instagram, Twitter, and all of the other social media platforms. And it's such an honor to have her present here today because for myself, and I know like with many of you, Academic Families was one of the first platforms we've seen. And for me, I was in my second year of my transfer journey. And it was very lonely. It was very isolating. But when I found this page, I just, and then eventually ended up meeting Maddie, I felt, I felt safe. I felt content. And I was reminded that my purpose here as not just the mujer, but also an academic serves so well. And I'm in the right path where I'm going because she's led by example. And before I start to tear up, I'm going to go ahead and pass the mic over to Maddie. So feel free to share whatever you'd like. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for that introduction. Now, now I'm the one feeling nervous. <laughs> the pressure. I feel the pressure. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. Every time I see you, you just like make me smile. I have a big smile right now. And yeah, excited to be here. No, definitely. Now, if you can please go into further detail about your academic journey, where you started at your Cal State as a student to then find yourself graduating with a PhD and where that PhD has led you to. Oh, I mean, we're going to have to go back a while because I'm getting old and I'm not a young person anymore. But um, I started my undergrad journey at Cal State Long Beach. Um, it wasn't my first choice. I wasn't documented back then. And to be honest with you, I just didn't have any other option because back then we didn't have DACA or any type of um, basically, you know, help. So that was the only school that my family could afford because we had to pay everything out of pocket. Um, and I did, I did apply to my dream school and I did get in and then I had to decline because we couldn't afford it. So I went into Long Beach, you know, with that mindset of like, oh my God, I don't want to be here. But then they proved me wrong and it became like my home away from home. Um, all through my undergrad, through my master's and also as a professional, I worked there a few years too. So very thankful that I was put there for a reason. I think that it really showed me that I was meant to be there the many years that I was there throughout my journey. And yeah, um, and then I was like, I like being a student. I like reading and writing papers and all of that stuff. So let me go for the PhD. And I kind of did it. <laughs> I also didn't know what a PhD was. I was just like, oh, this is the one thing that I can do so I can keep reading and writing papers and talking about books and movies. Okay, I'm going to do that. Um, and now I'm a professor. So I guess it worked out. No, definitely. And thank you so much for really being descriptive with that explanation, because I know as as I've continued on, I've met other friends that they didn't even know grad school was an option because for many of us, specifically minority students, first gen, it's kind of like we're we're told just get the bachelor's degree and you can you can work in a good paying job. But It's really getting competitive out here. So many of us are kind of like, well, we really want to make sure we keep doing what we like work-wise, but to make sure we can really get there, grad school really has to help us out. So what are your thoughts on that, Mari? Oh, my God. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I'm from Mexico, and I grew up until I was 12 in Mexico. And in Mexico, that's how it is. Like, you go to college, you get a bachelor's degree, and then you work in your career or profession, Right. There really isn't grad school for you to have a profession. Um, so that's what I thought that I had to do. And then it was like, no, you do four or maybe more years here. And then if you want to do something else with your life, you do something else. And for a long time, I did want to become a lawyer. 
I did study for the LSATs for two years. I did apply to a bunch of law schools. I did start a law school and then I dropped out because it wasn't for me. Um, so I think the idea of being a lawyer came because of my experience as an immigrant and just feeling very frustrated with the whole immigration system. But um, it wasn't what I wanted to do. It wasn't what made me happy. So after I dropped out of law school, I was like, I don't want to go back to law school. I don't want to be a waitress my whole life because that was my job back then. Um, and I had a baby already. He was like one and a half. So um, I applied for the master's and I got in and it made me really happy. And I think my husband noticed because after my first day of class, I came home and he said, you're, you're smiling. Like you sound very happy. And that's, that's how I felt that I was at the right place. And from then on, I just kept going. I love that so much. And thank you for also sharing that you gave law school a chance. You know what I mean? To see, okay, can I, can I really do this? Eh, no, like I know I can, but I don't really like it like that because I feel like for so many, and I, I know it's really common because I had this conversation like a few weeks back with a couple of friends and they were sharing with me that their older siblings, um, they tried out community college and they felt like it didn't really work out for them. So they either took a break or just didn't, didn't want to finish and pursued something else. And it's so interesting because with my eldest sister, she followed a similar route too. And then just like I've always shared on, you know, the platforms that I do, I did start grad school at one point, dropped out for personal reasons and then continued on. So I feel like one of the ways to really empower our community members and the Latinx community first gen is to just literally share, hey, sometimes you have to take different directions to find where you want to be. What do you think of that, Mari? Absolutely. I, I don't agree with the whole thing of like, you just have to stick with it. Uh, not at all. I think life is too short and you will most likely pay a lot of money for what you're doing. So you might as well like what you're doing. And for me, it was also like a financial decision. Um, I remember I got an email the day that I decided to quit. I got an email that I had to make a payment. I think my payments were like $14,000 because it was a private law school. And I was like, holy crap, I'm going to pay that much money to do something that I'm not enjoying. Like, uh-uh. Like, that's not worth it for me. Like, I'm not going to get into debt to do something that I don't like. Um, so it was financial, but also like me not liking it. And I I just I just wanted to do something that will make me happy, that I will like most of the time, because sometimes I don't like what I do, right? And that's perfectly okay. And something that will help me support my family. So I took all of that into consideration. And thankfully, it worked out. But um, yeah, like I, I think we all have the power to decide if something is for us or not, because in the end, we're the ones that have to live through it and have to live with the consequences of it, right? So if you don't like what you're doing, um, think about it because life's too short and it's too expensive. No, of course. And then my next follow-up question, taking a little two steps back in regards to like your PhD journey and stuff. So you had shared, I like reading, I like writing, I like being able to like work my research and work around movies too. Even though you knew you really liked that, when you felt the heavy hard times during your PhD journey, how would you really, how would you literally pump yourself up to be like, no, but I like this. This is why I'm going to keep doing it. You know, I have to say that whenever I felt um, like I was having a hard time during my PhD, it wasn't because of the work. It was because of the lack of support because I was a mom. And so I had my, my, my oldest was four years old when I started my PhD journey and then I had my little one during my my third, my second year. Well, third. I got pregnant during my second year. So she was my PhD dissertation baby. I had her while I was dissertating. Um, so the hard times that I had were not because of the work. Because even though I hated writing final papers, I actually enjoy them. I love research. I love nerding out. I love reading books. I love watching things. I love analyzing things. That's my passion. I, I really, really love it. 
um, the hard times were the lack of support that I had as a first gen student, as a Latina, as a mom. Um, the hard times were people telling me that I wasn't going to be able to do it because of those things, but not the work itself. The work, I, I really enjoy my work. No, of course. And I love that you really shared that. So I, I want to go in a little further. Can you define a little bit more of what you meant, the lack of support? Did you feel like the lack of support emotionally from like the household or was it more from the school? Never my household. Um, I have a very supportive husband and family. My mom, um, you know, she has two peaches at home now, so she cannot complain. <laughs> she knows She knows what it's like, right? But um, not the household, definitely. My first semester at my PhD program, I went to an event and it was like the second month, I think, of the PhD. And I was talking to the then chair and I said, oh, I have to go because I have to go get my kid. And he said, oh, you have a kid? I'm like, yeah, he's four. And he said, oh, I wouldn't have more kids if I was you, if you wanted to finish your PhD. And that, that was just one of the comments of the many comments that I've faced throughout my master's and my PhD and now as a professor. Um, and besides those like emotional kind of attacks, right? Because that just makes you like doubt yourself even more. Um, you also lack things like basic rights. You may not have lactation rooms when you are breastfeeding your baby and you're in between classes and you're like, oh shoot, where do I go and pump my milk for my baby? You may have to take your kids to, to campus for something and you may not have spaces to change your diapers or the, you may not have family-friendly policies that are gonna allow you to bring your kids to class or something like that. So the lack of support manifested in many different ways by many different people, both professors, peers, um, administration, et cetera. And that for me was the hardest part, the lack of support. No, of course. So I want to go even deeper on that. Why do you think in your honest opinion, based on your experiences, et cetera, why, why do you think academia wants to just like not have their students have personal stuff going on, whether it's having their babies, their loving relationship, like why? Like, I don't think it's necessary for academia to do that, but why do you think they do that? It's toxic. Is this mentality of like, I did it this way, so you have to do it that way too. Um, and also it was, academia was built for men who were not expected to have, um, labor at work or to take care of kids or to be the one supporting a relationship and you know and that that way the same as women um so that's why we're expected to follow that pattern that was set up to begin with excluding all of us that had all those multiple responsibilities and identities so that's why it's really hard to change ways but i think i see myself as someone who is making a change slowly right by not letting them dictate what I'm going to do with my life. Because at the end of the day, academia is my job and it's not my life. And I always say that academia is my job. I love it most of the time. I love what I do. I love my students. I love my classes, but it is a job. And I am not going to stop my life and to stop doing what I want to do with my life because of this. And how, how do you bring in what you love and I know we kind of talked about this last time on our IG live where you talk about your your beautiful children in your class and things like that. So what are what are other examples of how you're like you bring what you love, your culture, your family into these academic spaces where students who look like us may really need to hear it to not feel so alone? So I teach Latin American cultures, specifically Mexican literature and cultures. And I just talk about things that they never imagined they were going to study in an academic setting. So, for example, I talk about abuelitas mexicanas, right, and how they're portrayed in media and literature and why that portrayal uh, really comes from this machismo mentality that is so prevalent in Mexico, for example. And I just love my students' faces when they realize that they can contribute to that conversation because it's part of their culture. And I love highlighting how valuable their experiences are in this setting and just letting them break things down according to what they already know, because they're also the ones contributing, creating that knowledge. 
I love that. So now I want to ask you, how do you feel seeing their faces? Oh my gosh, it's the best thing. <laughs> it's the best thing ever. Yeah. There's this few moments in class, in all of my classes, right? When you're explaining something or you're, because I never lecture from like a script. I kind of just go with it. <laughs> I wing it, right? <laughs> I have a PowerPoint, but I just like, oh, I pongo a blad and I just say whatever comes to mind. And the few moments where like it kind of just clicks in your student's head and they're, I mean, they're wearing masks now. So I like, I look at their eyes, just like get wide and they're like, oh my God. And there is like a minute of silence because they're just like taking it all in. And then it's like, oh man, like it kind of just hit them. Oh, that's amazing. That for me is the best. That and just reading how far they've come at the end of the semester. Um, At the beginning, I think, People are trying to figure out what the class is about, how they can contribute and do well in class. But towards the end, most of my students just like blow me away with what they were able to accomplish in class more than I ever expected, because I always I always have like high expectations for them and they always exceed them. Right. Most of them. So it's just it's I feel so proud of just seeing and what what they were able to do and also learning from them. No, of course. And this just brought back a memory to me right now. I believed you shared on your IG story a picture of a student's annotation on like a a reading for your class. And you said that you loved seeing that, that it was a great example of like annotations that get you excited. Can you talk a little bit about that? So I teach literature and cultures, like I said, and sometimes it's very fun things. Like I'm teaching a class on Netflix production right now. So we watch Narcos and discuss it. And I also teach things that are not so exciting, like maybe 19th century literature that's kind of boring, right? Um, So to be able to get my students to engage with the materials in their own way and actually break things down and really work hard to understand them is amazing. And I'm I'm the type of student, because I still consider myself a student, that will write on books and highlight in different colors and have all the notes and all the post-its. So when I saw my my students' book look exactly like my my books look, I was like, oh my God, look, we're twinsies. My book looks the same as yours. <laughs> because I love to talk with the materials, with the books and the film and everything that I work with. I, I love to have a conversation with them and their margins. Um, so that's why I, that made me really happy because that's the type of student that I was and I am still. No, of course. And I love that you brought that up. So I need to ask you this. Okay. So you are literally academic mommy on these social media platforms. You are a doctora in the classrooms. So, and you're very humble. Okay. I can't think of another word, but that, cause it's so true. Now, do you ever sometimes feel that you forget you have a PhD, even though you have all these amazing things, but you just show yourself so humble? You know what I mean? Oh, my God. All the time. Um, sometimes when I'm, like, preparing for class, um, okay, soy bien preocupona. Like, I worry about everything. And in my head, I think of, like, all the, all the things that can happen, right? And I like to prepare for all of those things as much as I can. So when I'm preparing for a class, I always think of like, what's the most, I don't know, the mo- the hardest question that a student can ask me today and would I be able to answer it? And what if I don't answer it the way they're supposed to, you know, the, the way they want me to answer it. And then I'm like, oh, like I have a freaking PhD. I studied this for like seven years. Maybe like, I can answer the question. Even if I can't, we can Google it together. That's fine. You know, and sometimes I'm like, I just, I kind of just do it and I go with it. And if I don't know the answer for something, I'd we just Google it together. But yeah, I keep forgetting that I have a PhD, although it feels really nice to walk into my office and see my name on the door that says Professor Maricela Becerra. Like that never gets old. But the way that you see me talking on Instagram, that's the way I talk in class. <laughs> I don't change at all. <laughs> I don't sound like, oh, bueno, vamos a hablar ahora. De que... No, 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 no. Like I talk the way that I always talk. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I, who I am as an academic is the same person that I am 
just like as Maddie. And I never want to change that because I don't want my students to feel like I'm there to make them feel inferior than than me, than I. Yes, all student here. I want them to really see the classroom as some sort of collaboration, right? We're, we're, we're all learning from each other, including myself. I'm learning from them as well. So I'm, I have more experience than them because I've been researching this one thing longer than they have. Doesn't mean that I'm better or that I know, that I, that I know things that they don't know or they're not going to know because I'm going to teach them and they're going to teach me as well. So it's more like como un intercambio de ideas, intercambio de conocimiento, than me being like the authority figure in the classroom. Does that make sense? It does. So now I have to ask this. How did you feel the first time you saw your name on your office door and you walked in? It took forever because I started my job during the pandemic. So it was like online for the whole year. And I was going to my office during the spring semester of this year and no one was there. It was just like the ghost and me around, right? Um, and then when I finally got my name on the door, I was like, oh my God, this looks so nice. And it's literally just like Times New Roman font that they printed out from like the office and pasted it on the door. <laughs> it's nothing fancy. <laughs> but it's my office and it's my face and it makes me so happy to be there. No, of course. And I've also noticed, okay, I swear I'm not a stalker. I just, I love your work. Okay. And I pay attention. You're kind of like my weekly newsletter, you know, like your Instagram stories. And I love that. So I have to ask this. Okay. You have a Selena, like, I don't know. It's not a picture, but it's a, it's a piece of art of Selena. Mm -hmm. Why do you have that in your office? I have Selena. I have Maria Felix. I have Pedro Infante. Um, I have calaveras. I have art that I've been collecting through all my trips in Mexico um, because that's who I am. And that's the type of art that you will find in my home también, right? And I'm in my office so much. I'm there Monday through Friday all day long that I want that space to feel like me. And also I want my students to come into my office and be like, oh my God, you're like Selena and then we can start talking about it, right? Um, but I... I want my my workspace on campus to reflect who I am and the work that I do. So that's why I only have things that make me happy and that I like personally. Um, and what else do I have in my office? Now you got me thinking. I don't know what I have in my office, but one thing that I want to add to my office is this beautiful print that I just bought of a taco truck. Because believe it or not, I I might be kind of new at my university, but now I have the reputation of being the professor that loves tacos because I teach class with a necklace that says tacos. <laughs> so I want my students to come into my office and see art of a taco truck and be like, oh, you're the professor that likes tacos. I'm like, oh, that's me. I love that. What are your favorite tacos? You know this crimino. You know this crimino. Oh my God, you just reminded me of something. Can I share? <laughs> So when I first got hired, we did this like virtual welcome at the beginning of the year with like all the faculty from the entire university, right, on Zoom. And the new faculty had to record a video about us to introduce ourselves to the campus, right? And all of my colleagues like, oh, like this is the work that I do. This is what I would like to do at the university. These are my publications, blah, 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 blah. Guess what I said in my video? <laughs> so I like tacos and I'm going to move to this place and I'm new. So you have new recommendations. Hit me up. <laughs> and I got a bunch of like taco recommendations. <laughs> and ever since then, like I just, I got the reputation of being the profe that loves tacos. And I love that. I love that so, so much. Oh my goodness. And okay. Did they ever... Ask, also ask you, okay, so these are your favorite tacos. Do you also like do your publications and write them while eating tacos? Like, was that a question? That wasn't a question, but it should be. Um, I would love to write while eating tacos, right? <laughs> you can, man. So my mom and I used to sell tacos in Mexico when I, when I was younger. Um, so my mom was also going to college when she was already a mom. 
I think I was like seven or eight when she started going to college in Mexico to become a, a teacher. And at night, she, she would go to school in the morning. And at night, we will sell tacos at my grandma's house outside of the house. Um, so I like to, I like to call myself a taco connoisseur, right? Is that how you pronounce that thing? I don't know. So I'm like, oh, I'm very picky with tacos, but I will eat all of them. So when they tell me like, Hey, what kind of tacos do you, do you like? I'm like, I like all of them, but I'm also very picky. And I will like criticize the heck out of a taco if I don't like it. <laughs> I love that so much. Oh my goodness, Maddie. I'm so happy to have you here. Like, I'm serious. You're so <laughs> funny. Like you're actually really, really funny. And I love it. Now me gente. Maddie is my witness, but I'm back here just like biting my tongue and holding my fingers because I I'm not rich, so I don't have a legit podcast studio. So I know <laughs> I know what I need to do as the host to make sure the spotlight is completely on my interviewee. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're holding back your laughs. I can see it. It's fun. Yes. And I know you're really enjoying that because it's just like, oh my goodness. But trust me, I've learned my lesson with season two and season one. It just, it's not very, it's not very helpful for the audio. Maybe hopefully next year, obviously it goes back to many, but maybe next year I can have like rent out a podcast studio every now and then, but it makes a difference when I bite in my laughs than when like I showcase it. But okay, enough about me. We're going back to Maddie. This is all about you. This is all about you. Now, going back to, but you're always an academic mommy. What does that mean to you? And how do you feel you represent it best? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I've shared this on my blog when I started or, or Instagram, I forgot. But when I started my master's program, um, I went in into my master's as someone that was like, okay, I'm going to do this for real. Like, I'm going to focus on my studies and I'm going to be the best out of everyone. Like, I was the one nerd that did all the required readings and the optional readings and always had, like, mi mano levantada. Yo, profe, I can answer that question. That was me. The annoying student in, in class, yeah, that was me. Um, but that also meant that I dedicated all of my time to the university and not my child. Um, so I will leave my house like at 7 a.m. and I will come back like at 10, 30, 11 p.m. at night. I will work all weekend long. And I never really told anyone at school that I had a child because um, I got pregnant during my undergrad. And the comments from people, the looks, the stares, um, these ideas that moms cannot do anything because that's an idea right that our cultura has that once you become a mom your kind of your life kind of ends right I didn't want to share that I was a mom because I didn't want anyone to doubt me because of it and I think I shared that until probably my second year as a master's student so for my first year of my, as a master's student I was only an academic right until my child who was three at the time reminded me that I also had to be a mom and that's when I said okay I'm going to be an academic mom from now on every single day, no matter the space, um, like this is who I am. And I'm so thankful that I'm in a place right now where I don't feel shame or no, I'm in a place where me vale madre. That, that, that's the correct term. <laughs> no, okay. I don't feel shame. Me vale madre. Like I'm at a place where I'm just so comfortable with my life and who I am as an academic mommy that if anyone has an issue with it, I don't care. And oh my goodness, that in itself. So I have to take a two steps back because one thing that I that I really caught on was that participation. Okay. So I need to ask you this. You know what it's like to be an academic mommy because you are one, you know? Mm -hmm. And then it's just like you've experienced the first year where you're like going ham in the academic setting. But then the following year, you're like, let me take a step back. Like I'll still be here, but my baby's like they need me. So knowing everything that you know now in the classes that you teach, and especially if you can have an idea if how many mothers or fathers you may have in the class, how heavy do you weigh participation grades? Because for me, I remember for all my Spanish classes in undergrad, and then for the ones I did take for like the for my first academic year as a master's student, um, 
participation was just like a huge, huge thing. So I want to ask, like, with your experiences, how do you how do you bring into the classroom? You know. Mm -hmm. um, so participation is always worth ten percent of the grade, um, which I don't think it's a lot. Uh, and participation, it's, it's you know, it's it means that you're in class and you are doing different types of activities. So I have um, partner activities where you talk to your classmate, and if I see you talking to your classmate, that's participation. Doesn't mean that you have to speak up in front of everyone if you don't like it, right? Um, if if I see that you're taking notes and being attentive, that's participation. If I see you nodding and like clapping for me, I'm kidding. They don't clap. Um, that's participation. I always tell them if you laugh at my jokes, extra points, and then no one laughs anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, but it's really hard when you're trying to support parenting students because one of the issues that comes up at the administrative level is, well, how many parenting students do we have? And many of them do not share that part of themselves for X, Y, or Z, right? Um, so it's hard as a professor to know how many of them have kids at home or dependents. It might not even be their own kids. They might be in charge of their siblings, right? Or their sobrinos, et cetera. And it's really hard to know. Um, so what I do is I do have family-friendly policies that I add to my syllabus that tell them, hey, you can bring your kids to class. If you need time off for something regarding your kid, just let me know. And that's, I mean, I said participation is like 10% of my grade, but I also tell my students always, if you let me know what's going on with you and if you need time off, you could just come and tell me. The issue is when they don't tell you anything, right? And they miss like half of the semester, they show up and they're like, oh my God, profe, I need help. I'm like, girl, I was here and you never showed up to my office hours. Like I just asked them to have that communication with me because I cannot help you if I don't know what's going on with you. It doesn't mean that you have to share every single thing about your life because I understand that sometimes you can't, right? And as much as I love being a chismosa and get into people's lives, if you just tell me, hey, profe, I need to take some time off a couple of days, I understand that, right? But the main thing is that you're going to tell me. And I've had students tell me, I don't like talking to others in class. And I always tell them, well, how can, how can I know that you're participating in class? And I had one student at UCLA who was very, 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 very shy. She will get like hives when she had to talk to somebody else. And what we did is that she will send me an email at the end of class with her thoughts on the class. And then after that, I started doing um, this thing where I asked my students to submit questions for the class beforehand. And that's one way of participating as well. So you find different ways to make all of your students comfortable in that space. No, of course. And okay, so we were, I love that you brought up the whole hives thing because I don't remember if I've ever shared this with you, but I have shared in the past with a few TikToks with academia and hives. I actually, from all the stress from meeting like, well, you know, you know, our cultura, Mari, like very collectivistic in a growing, loving way. Obviously, there's some downfalls, but you know what I'm saying. And then with the whole individualistic side that comes from academia, I've always felt like I was pulled to like trying to meet all expectations for both worlds that I actually made myself sick. And at age 20, I'm not 26, I literally developed hives. Like I remember, I'll never forget the day it started. Like I was just sleeping at night and then one day they just all started splurting. So now like until this day, whenever I'm stressed or if I get too emotional and I'm talking about like I'm too emotional where I'm extra positive or extra sad, the hives come out, you know? So I want to ask you, have you, have you ever felt like your immune system like go drastically up or down while being an academic bomb because that's that's even more things having to navigate but obviously navigate with so much love because it's like I can really see it within you Marie you love your job you love your kids and you just showcase both so well wow um yeah so my husband actually did have highs as well whenever he talked to somebody else um and I wouldn't believe it until I sent him to <laughs> I sent him to Target to complain about like an overcharge in a receipt <laughs> and he started breaking out and I and I'm like oh crap it's true 
Just side note, just like just so you know, you have something come with my husband. Uh, for me, yeah, I mean, I will say my weight has been an issue, like going up and down throughout all my academic journey. Um, during my masters, I was really, really skinny, not because I had a great diet, but because I didn't have time to eat, and I will forget to eat because I was working so much. Um, during my PhD, I gained weight because I was literally sitting down on a desk, snacking and writing like all day long, right? So I don't have healthy habits. Um, I always add that to my list of like New Year's resolutions, but life gets busy, right? Um, but I think the biggest thing for me was being diagnosed with depression during my PhD. That was like something within my body that I didn't notice until somebody else noticed for me. Right. Um, and it was, it was important for me to, to acknowledge that as well, because I don't know about you, but like in my, in my familia, like you only go to a doctor when you're like, casi muriéndote, when you're really dying. Si no, va por un tecito and you're good. Right. Echale ganas, mijo, and you're going to be fine. Um, so I went to uh, the therapist on campus, not because I felt sick, but because um, it was free <laughs> with my insurance. And I was like, hey, they're paying for this. I'm going to go use it, right? And that's how I got diagnosed with depression, um, by going just because it was free. So I need to ask you this, like, oh, my gosh. And I think you know what I'm going to ask you. How did you feel when you found that out, especially coming from our cultura where depression, like, wait, what? No, just, 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 you know, dust it off and keep on working. When my therapist told me like what I was doing, that I already knew what I was doing, but in my head, so just to give you like an example, um, this happened over the summer when I got diagnosed. And during that summer, like, I will go and take my kid to summer camp on campus. I will walk to my office, and the plan was to work. But in reality, I will just sit there and do nothing for eight hours. Like, literally do nothing. Like, paralyzed. And then I will, it was like the time to go pick him up, and I will go pick him up, and we will go home. And then I will be like, oh, my God, so bien floja. Like, I didn't work today because I'm being lazy. Or maybe I'm just tired. Maybe I'm burned out. Like, I try to justify what was happening, right? And when my therapist said, no, like, you're doing this because of this. Or maybe sometimes you sleep late because of this. Or have you noticed how um, sometimes, like, you don't put an effort on, like, changing and doing your hair and looking nice or cleaning certain spaces. I think depression when you have kids is weird because for me, at least, uh, like I had to be responsible for my kids, but then other areas of my life, like will go down. Right. And when he told me like, this is what you're doing because of this, that's when I was like, Oh crap, this has been happening for many years. Like this is not the first time that it's happened. And now thankfully I've gained some tools to notice the first signs of it. Right. And I, I have techniques to pull myself out of it and go seek help when I need it. But yeah, it was, it was really weird because like, esa, esa idea de que, oh, you're just being a floja kind of will get come to my head instead of wondering if there was something else going on with me. No, of course. And thank you so much. I appreciate you sharing that vulnerability because it's like, it's hard. It's hard when you know what you're used to hearing growing up, but then you realize I need to make a change or I'm just going to continue to feel like I am spiraling, you know? And if you don't mind me asking, and I'll share too, but I, I really want to put the spotlight on you because it is your time. What techniques have really helped you to get you out of like, any any you know depression depression that you may be like feeling mm -hmm. um journaling is one of them I don't do it as much as I should but when I did it every day I noticed like a big change um when I feel like I'm just going through one of those days you know um I either take a very hot shower sometimes just like cry in the shower for like an hour you know or I listen to a playlist that makes me happy, or I take a walk, or I play with my kids for a while. Um, depends on, you know, what I'm going through internally. 
uh, or I just talk to somebody. Um, when I have like anxiety and depressive attacks, I tell my husband, I'm like, just hug me. Like, I just want you to hug me really tight. Mm-hmm. And he does that for me. Um, sometimes I just dance. Like I put Bad Bunny and I'm just like jumping around the room and dancing, you know, and no se perrear, pero I try. And that just kind of boosts my mood up, you know? So it depends on what I'm going through. Um, and also just talking to my therapist. Like if I'm, I'm like, hey, I really need you to take me like right now and just talking to somebody else. And even that is like taboo in our family, right? Like you don't talk to somebody else about the family's problems or your problems. La ropa sucia se lava en casa. And if it's something that might bring shame to you or the family, no digas nada. Like you just don't say anything. So it, it's been it's been a process to like, no, no quiero decir como olvidar because I still remember those things that I grew up with, but learning how to, how to help myself despite having known that my whole life. No, definitely. And with me, I am a huge fan with those showers and the music and the dancing. And don't worry, I, I don't I don't think I know how to perrear that, that well either. <laughs> but another thing that for me personally helps a lot, and I think it's because I live in a cow town, like for real, um, after I finish, like, you know, I get off of work and before I start like my night classes depending on the day it is I like to just like mindlessly drive around and I feel like I'm able to do that as at least where I live right now because it's just like it's it's country there's cows Mm -hmm. and I can put my music as well I guess you can put your music loud too in the city but it's kind of like it's not like just break 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 when I'm here it's just like driving and then another thing I like to do add on to what you said I love to call my sisters but when I call them like I like to leave for me excuse my language like no, no, it's not a bad word. I like to share what I'm going through with them towards the end of the conversation because sometimes when I just see their face and we can talk about like how my sister's making TikToks about her cat, how my other sister just got the new BTS album, whatever. It's kind of like they help me escape that. And then if I feel like I still really need to talk about it, I'll like share it towards the end. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because you kind of give the conversation a chance to to do something else, right? Instead of just being all about what you're going through. No, definitely. And do your students do they ever do they ever share personal things in class? And you don't you can go into little or big detail as you like, but if and when they do, how does it how does it go about? You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in class I do have overshares, <laughs> but I think more so in in during office hours. Um, and sometimes, like I'm gonna be completely honest with you, sometimes it, they're going through really, really heavy things, and I just I, I'm not qualified to help them out, right? So I tell them like, "Hey, I appreciate the trust. I appreciate that you're sharing this with me, but." I cannot help you. Like we have a center on campus that can help you with this. So I really recommend that you go and talk to them. And I walk students to the therapy or the, um, we call it CAPS, the, the mental health center for them. Um, I walk them in person, like taking like, hey, this is where it is. You stay here. I'm going to go. Um, but I kind of just let them talk. Sometimes I just like someone to talk to, right? And I just, like, I just sit there and, and nod. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And I'm like, okay. Um, and if it's really, really bad things like abuse, I stop them before they share more and I tell them, Hey, just so you know, I have to report this because as part of my job, I am a mandated reporter. Um, so do you really want to tell me or do you want to tell someone at CAPS that is not a mandated reporter? Um, so I have to kind of like know when to step in, when to step back, uh, and sometimes I just tell them like, hey, I am so sorry. I don't have the bandwidth for this right now. <laughs> like I will appreciate if you, we kind of just like stick to the class themes or homework because I just mentally I cannot take it. No, of course. But that's why I just love that you will share with them the resources that are available on campus and how they can like, you know, you walk them. I'm pretty sure there's not a lot of professors that do that, but you do. And that in itself just set. It just shows so much because as human beings, whether you're a professor or a teacher or you're you're working in a different area that's not in education, we just like, 
we can't do everything. We can't do it all. And I feel like sometimes as mujeres from our cultura, we, since we're small, we're, for many of us, we kind of feel like we have to do it all. So it's kind of like as we grow older, we have to remind ourselves it's, it's okay not to do it all. But then sometimes reminding ourselves that can feel hard too because we want to. But like, then that's why there's other people that are qualified that can like do the parts that like, they're just not in your area, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, I mean, it also depends how you define all, right? For me, delegating, it's part of me doing it all. And did you always feel like that was something you've understood your whole life? Or was that something you felt like you learned more as you got older and started to progress more in your academic field? Definitely as I got older. um, I think it came pretty evident throughout my grad school journey with my husband because... um, you know, like I, start, I started working outside of campus and on campus and doing my PhD. And I remember we had the sticker business had just started um, and I was trying to do everything myself. Right. And then I said, wait, I don't have to do everything myself. And that's why I said, depending how you define all. And I started saying, OK, this is what I can handle without going crazy and overworking myself this is what I cannot handle. How can we as a family and collective work with this? to make sure that everyone does a little bit of of everything without any of us going crazy. Because if I'm in a bad mood, everyone is going to be in a bad mood. If I'm not feeling it, my family is going to feel it. So I think that's when I learned to like kind of let go a little bit. And, um, and I'm using that example because that's how I've seen it more like in my household, how I had to, to learn to delegate different things to my husband um, and that way, you know, sharing the load. And for me, that's part of doing it all. The fact that we have been able to kind of like work together to support our family. No, and I love that so much. And again, thank you for sharing about that too, because like, I know there's also a lot of listeners that very similar to us, they're not only navigating academia, they're navigating other projects that go back to, you know, empowering, uplifting, inspire inspiring our community and sometimes it may feel like we have to do it all and then it's like then depression will start to hit in because we're overworked yeah like oh my gosh I really felt that the other day too because I was just like I felt like I had done so much and I feel like I'm I'm just like a talking like like what's the word like the of the thing that just keeps talking about like the old stuff, but no, I'm serious. Ever since I finished my licensing exams, it's like I felt like I was just in so much stress that once it was over and I was cleared for field work, it's like, I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm like, wait, but no, I still have some finals to finish and other things. So I feel like I've just kind of like every week been like doing my best, even though sometimes for me, it may not feel like it is, but then I have to remember, well, well, girl, you just finished all of this and then the depression comes and then I like, you know what I'm saying, Maddie? Yeah, and I've, I've also gone through that, but I, I'm at a point of my life where I'm okay with doing things that are not as perfect. I was going to say another word, but I don't know. Um, I'm okay with doing things um, good enough. As long as they're good enough, I'm okay. Like I don't beat myself up if anything is not like not super perfect. Um, for example, like my PowerPoints in class are just white and black text. <laughs> They're very simple and they work. Um, sometimes like I, I just do something good enough. Once it's done, it's done. And I move on because I don't have time to worry about it. So, yeah. No, definitely. And do you feel like you learning that it just it came with the years and the experience that you've collect not like just as a muhead but also as an academic it came i will say that the the como se dice the model of this will be my dissertation right um because i remember writing that and i was like oh my god this is a piece of crap like who's gonna read this thing well Four people, but bueno, a lo mejor cinco. My mom wants to read it. 
I was like, oh my God, it's like a piece of crap. Like what? And I remember like just telling myself, okay, you need to graduate because you cannot afford to be a PhD student anymore and being overworked the way that you are. So you need to graduate. And then my professor, my advisor emailed me one day and he said, hey, you have like so many years of funding left. Why don't you take extra time to finish your dissertation? Because the draft that you have right now, it's good, but it could be better. And I just told him like, you know what? I need to graduate. So you either support me or you let me know that you're not going to so I can drop the, the PhD because I cannot handle this anymore. And he said, no, I will support you. And I did my dissertation. And the year before me, one of my classmates wrote a dissertation of 500 pages. And that became like the talk of the department, like so-and-so wrote 500 pages, blah, 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 blah. And he spent like, I think two years doing research and I don't know where, and just like, he didn't have a job just to write. And it was like perfection. And oh my God, everyone loved it. And in the end, guess what? I also got a PhD with my 200 pages that were not perfect, but were good enough for me to get that PhD. So when I was like, okay, if this was good enough for me to get a PhD, my life can be good enough también, you know? And my good enough is actually perfection for somebody else. So my standards needed to like come down a little bit. I love that. And thank you so much for sharing. Like you're inspiring me right now and making me feel better about myself. And I know so many others will feel the same way too. I also sometimes wonder if like the way I feel also has to do with the fact that I'm still in my 20s. Did you did you really enjoy your 20s, Maddie? Girl, emotionally, I had a anyway, baby. Emotionally. I had a baby at 22. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because my younger sister is in college, right? And then during Thanksgiving, she was like, oh, my God, I don't even know how people do this and, like, full-time jobs. And then I mentioned I had a baby during college. She's like, what? You what? I'm like, yeah. (laughs) So my 20s uh, were taking care of a baby. No, but I didn't. I mean, I don't know. I think my 20s. They were fun. I had fun before the baby and after the baby. Uh, but I definitely see how I've matured. I don't know. Do we call me maturing the fact that I don't care about a lot of things anymore? Maybe. I mean, I guess. Uh, I, I don't know. I've just. Have you seen that video of like where they show like earth and then it zooms out and there's like all the planets and the galaxies and all of that and in the end you're like nothing like not even a dud on the video i was like tanto drama? we're nothing <laughs> you know and we we live and we die hopefully at a very old age and we're happy along the way hopefully and i don't know like i don't i just want to enjoy my life i want to I want to go knowing that the time that I was here, I was happy. No, and I love that you shared that because for me, like, okay, I don't want this to sound scary because I promise I am a healthy human being. I go to therapy too. But I literally, like, every time I wake up, I look around like, gracias, Diosito, I still have another day. I don't know. I know that sounds crazy, but sometimes, you know, and then I just get happy. Like that, that is one of the things that make me happy in the morning where I'm just like, I touch my hands and I'm like, I'm here. I can still do things. I can do stuff. I I feel like I also get into that episode because of my own personal traumas that I'm working through. But I, I agree. And I think about that a lot. I'm like, we, we only, this is our one life. So like, And I know I always hear people say that life is so short and it's very true. So true. But sometimes I think of it in the other perspective where like life is so long to be just complaining about the same thing and not doing action about it to like keep it moving, you know, because I don't know about you, but it's kind of like when I sometimes hear the same, like whether it's a family member or una amiguita or algo that's still complaining about like the same, like person that keeps doing the same thing to them and you know what I mean oh I know what you mean um yeah life I mean 
the way it says like life's too, life's too short. Like I'm not going to worry about that stuff or yeah. Or we have a long way to go to just be thinking about the same thing. You're totally right. Um, no, say, I think also becoming a mom kind of put things into perspective. Right. And to me, like things that were important at one, at one point of my life are not as important anymore. And I think I've learned that everything goes away eventually and things get done eventually Papers get done, finals get done, the work they have to do, it gets done somehow. Even if you like do um, a cramming session one night with like 20 coffees, it gets done. Somehow it gets done. It might be hell while you're going through it, but it gets done. The work gets done. But what what really matters for me is those those moments of my day where I'm not thinking about what I'm supposed to be doing or, you know, that I'm just living the moment. And that can be in the classroom or with my kids or by myself even, where I'm just like being present and not worrying about the future or the past where I'm just there. And I really, really cherish those moments. No, of course. So, okay. Our time is about to end soon, but but scratch that for a second. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a long time ago, I had seen a picture of you and your husband recording like a podcast episode. Is that true? We had a podcast. When did it start? I don't remember. 2018, I believe. It was called uh, Generation 1.5. And do any of your episodes kind of talk about like what you just talked about for the last five minutes about life and perspective? I don't think they did. No, we talked about um, us being immigrants that came to this country as children and how that perspective was different from our older immigrant parents and our siblings that are born in the United States. Do you think you would ever start the podcast again? But if you don't, like, I understand because you have so much going on, but can you share where we could find it? Because I personally would love to hear it. And that the picture, like that picture came into my mind right now because of just hearing the really thoughtful and insightful like comments you were, and conversation you were saying right now. Um, I don't know if they're like on any platform because I believe we had to stop paying for the thing when my husband lost his job. But um, if you go to, I think Instagram is generation 1.5 or generation 1.5. Um, he might be able to send you the episodes, but we talk about, for example, um, being shamed in our community for not speaking Spanish or speaking broken Spanish as, as Latinxes. We talked about uh, raising kids as immigrant parents, but not really being our parents' immigrant parents, right? And that mentality shift. Uh, we talked about representation in film, so many things. Um we had a lot of fun, but at the same time, we kind of felt like the Generation 1.5 experience was more than just us. So we kind of wanted to do it as long as we could and then kind of just put it out there for all the people that came to this country as children like us could have their own little conversations wherever they were. I love that so much. So I'm definitely going to like stock that page and see what I can hear and stuff. But okay, Muddy. Now, before we officially conclude this episode, is there anything else you want to share? So I am academic mommy on everything. TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what else do I have? That's all I have. Not on everything, just on those three things because um, I'm old and those are the only things that I know how to do. Kind of, Kind of okay. It depends on who you ask. My son will not agree with me, especially on TikTok. But I think I'm kind of funny on TikTok too. Um, I only, I mean, I post about everything, not just academia or me as a mom. Like I post about everything, whatever, whatever I like. Um, I don't really have a, como se dice, like a brand. My brand is me just being myself. <laughs> so if you, if you think you'll like me, kind of, you can follow me. I love that so much. And any last consejito or how are you feeling? Any last consejitos? Um, you know, I will say that lo voy a robar esta frase a José Alfredo Jiménez that I always say because I think is the perfect phrase for anything. 
Uh, no importa llegar primero, sino saber llegar. So it doesn't matter how long it takes you to get to where you want to be, as long as you get there. So you do you at your own time. You'll get there. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing, Maddie. And mi gente, thank you so much for sticking through and listening to this episode. It it truly, truly is a gem. I'm so excited to talk to you all next week. Adios. <laughs>